So here are the potential titles I was singing for this episode. Either Real Boris Fish, <laughs> Vendetta Real, Boris Kilgore, or Real Bob Fish. Real Bob Fish. You think that's it? <laughs> Real, Real Bob, Bob Fish. <laughs> or Boris Kilgore. I Boris like Kilgore. I do. Well, did you ever read um, any Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. His fictional author, Kilgore, the Trout? science fiction. Yeah, Trout. Yeah, Kilgore. Kil- yeah. Kil- it was either Trout Kilgore or Kilgore Trout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Boris. That always, it always make, that make, kind of makes me think of it. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Shuffle after almost a month off. It wasn't off, man. We were prepping for You're this right. hard. You're right. This is, is going to be the best episode Dude. yet. Months of preparation. Sorry, month of preparation. Yeah, we got month of prep going on here. Everything planned out to a T. I'm just reading a key card. Yeah, because it's it's all planned out. (laughs) Please make sure to listen to the five songs that we're going to discuss on this episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube accounts or accounts playlists can be found in this episode's description. With us again is special guest Dominic Manthe. Very special. Now I wanted to talk to you about this, and I'm springing this on him. I think I'm upgrading you to co-host. I like that. I can call you special like co-host that. if you'd like. Could we do honorary co-host? Sure. Meaning like he's always... No, honorary special guest. Honorary special guest. Like the continual perpetual special okay. guest. Okay. Or like special with like an Co-host. In the linear notes. <laughs> or co-host. That's it. No, no. That's or it. co-host. Because there will be times, especially when I go back to Minnesota, where I think I'm going to do an episode with some other people. But you're kind of the standard. I Actually, feel. you know what would be funny? I'm perpetual special guest. And then every time you get an actual special guest, they're a temporary co-host. Temporary. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. That's the formula from this point out. <laughs> You got to call them that. Temporary, temporary co-host. Temporary co-host, That's blank. That's so nice. That's yeah. a nice Yeah. <laughs> like a little pat on the back. And I'm the perpetual The perpetual special guest, guest Dominic Manthe. I like that. All right. It's been seven episodes without an icy precedent. Mm. Now, if you can remember back to a month ago, I had told you that Insane Clown Posse was playing at First Avenue in Minneapolis. Yeah. I found a review of that show by a Minneapolis music journalist, and I wanted to just read you an excerpt from this review. Oh yeah. They had no idea what ICP was before they went, so they were like thrown in the deep end with this. Damn. This is how they concluded their review. I'm not sure how to give you a takeaway. This is a very unique rap group slash lifestyle brand. So unique, in fact that I can draw no meaningful parallels to it in a world pregnant with entertainment options. There is absolutely no equivalent for the clowns, their fago swilling worshippers, or the gathering at which they commune. Yes, Jimmy Buffett's loyal parrot heads have a look in a beverage of choice, flip-flops and margaritas. There are also now a few artists who have their own festivals, though I feel like it would be insulting to do the readers intelli- or it would be insulting to the readers intelligence if I doled out the smorgasbord of differences between Justin Vernon's Eau Claire Music and Arts Festival and the Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> this is all on a different level than I even imagined before stepping foot in ICP's universe. 
You see, the insane clown posse are not just their own ballpark or, or playing a different sport than everyone else. They're in another galaxy playing a game which I am unable to comprehend the rules. And that was by Ryan Warner from the City Pages. And I will link wow. to that review in the notes for this show. That is like the nicest and like way to say yeah. I don't like this music. He, exactly. <laughs> he could have just destroyed it. Wow. And there are some wow. pretty awesome photos in this of just First Avenue drenched in Fago yeah. soda and juggalos in the crowd just dripping wet with Fago. You know, I come to think of it, I don't know if I can think of any parallel either. To like a group that literally has its own culture to that extent. Like Grateful Dead, kind of, but not, not like that. No. That's a good. That's that's a very fair. It's a very fair review. I'm I sure. agree. Yeah. I'm just building it up until we actually have to finally talk about <laughs> one of their songs. Yeah, and then we can finally trash it. All right. That's enough for ICP News Corner. Mm. Now on to some other music news. That's a dirty, sticky corner, man. <laughs> very Oof. sticky. Very Oof. dirty. Lots Oof. of makeup. A lot of Fago action. A lot of Fago, and Christianity. Mm. Those go well together. So in other music news, President Obama has confirmed that he is not the lead singer of Korn. <laughs> did you hear man. about this? No, I did not. There was not. a uh, a military member who was injured by tackling a suicide bomber. And he is a very big Korn fan. And I guess while in the hospital, while he was drugged up on pain meds, President Obama had stopped by to visit him to thank him for his service, and in his drugged-up state, he was convinced it was Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of Korn. Wow. And Obama, in his speech, had told this anecdote and confirmed that he is, in fact, not Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of Korn. Wait, do we know for sure that Obama did visit him? That we don't know for sure. Okay. I mean, I don't know if anyone's confirmed that. That's hilarious. And what's even more hilarious is the fact that Jonathan Davis is very vocal about how he is convinced that Obama is a puppet of the Illuminati that was put into office to destroy this country. Oh man, this is getting weird. It's getting deep. This is getting weird. Uh, it's getting deep. Uh, now it's making a little sense. Making a little sense. They're yeah. messing with them. Yeah. Messing with corn. That, that was about it. So, what have you been uh, listening to in the month absence? Anything noteworthy you would like to talk about? Animal Collective, really. You brought to my attention. Although, maybe I saw it, to be fair, about 60 seconds. You trying to hipster me? <laughs> I think 60 seconds before you showed it to me, I heard about it. I'm sure you did. I was going to say. So, But, regardless, Animal Collective dropped a new single, which was a surprise. Right? I had no idea it was coming. I had no idea they yeah. were recording anything. And it was very good. It's called it's called Floridana. Yeah. Right? Floridada. Yeah. yeah. Which that particular line, I'm not the biggest fan of, but everything else in the song is just brilliant, classic, manic animal collective. I love it. I'm really excited for it. Like I, I mentioned to you off mic, especially coming after Centipede Hurts. Yeah. This is it was very refreshing. It was like the perfect balance of catchy and weird. Yep. And it yep. just I'm super pumped for this new album, which yeah. I think comes out in March. I think March. Yeah. yeah. I think March. Yeah, it sounds like they hit that sweet spot where they know 
Centipede hurts. May I think maybe they they caught wind of the fans' disappointment and, and they've adjusted a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So am I. I've been listening. So now I've, I've I feel like we've kind of been leading up to this. I've been talking about the singles that One of Tricks Point never did. Yeah. In the month we've been gone, the album has finally dropped, Garden of Delete. Yeah. And I, I just love it. It's amazing. <laughs> I have not listened to it except the song, an earlier One of Tricks Point. Never song, but I've heard a lot of really good things. I. So you listeners know, next week Dominic and I are planning on discussing our top five albums of the year. And without too many spoilers, I won't talk too much about this <laughs> album right now. Spoiler Because there's, there's a lot to talk about this album, like augmented reality, real world games. Like he created a universe for this album, a fictional universe for this album to come from. Yeah. Which is, it's very interesting. So. I won't talk too much about it now, but I highly recommend it. It is very experimental and kind of weird, but I think it's one of his most accessible things he's put out yet. So if you're kind of intimidated by that, there's stuff on there that won't alienate you much. I'll check it out. All right, I guess with that, we can move on to the first song of this playlist which is There Only Is by Vendetta Red off the 2003 album Between the Never and the Now. Vendetta Red are an emo slash screamo band from Seattle, Washington. Uh, the way that I got into them was my good friend slash roommate from my undergrad days, Zach Rorda. He introduced me to them. He said that if I really like My Chemical Romance, I should check uh, these guys out. I can see. And I remember at first, I kind of I listened to him, and I, I didn't quite hear it. But then he said, no, I was talking specifically about their guitar work. Mm. And then when I focused on the guitaring, it really did remind me of MCR. And actually, mm. this song reminded me a lot of My Chemical Romance. Mm. So thanks, Zach. You were right. Mad props. See? <laughs> Mad props. Mad props. I am stoked <laughs> on this band. They opened for ACDC in 2003, and they were met with extreme homophobic hostility from the I crowd. Bet. I bet. The lead singer, Zach Davidson, had this to say about the experience. It was scary how blatantly homophobic a lot of the crowd is. ACDC's music, whether you like it or not, is not socially conscious. You want to drink, fuck, and smoke weed when you listen to ACDC and mm-hmm. eat steak. Fucking America dream. I can handle anything, but I didn't really like it when, before you play a fucking note, the minute you go on stage, people are yelling, faggot. That, of course, made me have to go down there and start kissing boys. <laughs> Oh, which he did in he front did. of an ACDC. I guess he did. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to an ACDC concert in Fargo, North Dakota. Really? And I gotta say, absolutely correct. The music is not socially conscious. But it's the the demographic that gets pulled there. Oh my god. That is just a sad, sad group of people that show up there. We got free my friend and I got free. Was it through the radio station? No, it was my friend's mom 
got tickets somehow and gave them to us. And we realized they were literally the back row. Like the back, back, back where like your seat is up against concrete and it's like slanted forward. It's so- And your nose can't stop bleeding. Exactly. And I had to stand the whole time and next to me was like some woman who was a humongous ACD fan for like 30 years and it showed. She had the battle scars and she was drunk out of her mind and she was dancing up on me. And we're talking like three generations difference between her and I. It's traumatic, very traumatic. And when did you two get together then? And now she's my wife. Your wife, of course. <laughs> my, that was my second wife. Oh, second wife. At our ACD show, <laughs> we were both chanting uh, homophobic slurs. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. The American but dream. ACDC shows, man. Eesh. Eesh. That's America. America. But I digress. Did they give you free steaks with the tickets? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they really should have. It's steak raw. <laughs> it's all bloody. Well, I gotta say this though. The only show I've ever been to that was probably, yes, the most homophobic. We're gonna go that there. It is also, ironically, the only show in which the lead singer stripped to his underwear. Now that's <laughs> that's America. figure that out. And May I add, ACDC, do you know what that means in Australia? I don't. It means you swing both ways. Really? Yes, it does. It means you swing both ways, men and women. I wonder which, did that phrase in Australia exist? Because I know ACDC here, it's about like electrical connections. Yeah. I think it's somehow, I don't know the history of it, but somehow, at least in the homosexual community, that sounds really old-fashioned to say, but it's not very PC. <laughs> but in in certain interpretive communities, that phrase came to kind of signal that someone was bisexual. It was a safe okay. way in certain communities to signal you're bisexual. ACDC. I take it the band didn't know that. Well, maybe they did know that, and that's why the song Highway to Hell exists because they're trying to talk to this community about how they're on the path to hell with their horrible sexual practice. I think we have a new way to interpret their entire body of work. <laughs> it's all of it. All right, you're listening to ACDC podcast. <laughs> yeah. All ACDC all the time. We're right. picking up all their secret meanings yes. and how they hate We're breaking them. it down. We're revealing the true messages <laughs> and their intent. Oh my God. So back to Vendetta Red. Back in black. <laughs> back to Vendetta Red. Vendetta <laughs> What did you think of this song? I thought that this was a good song. I, I didn't. I wasn't floored by it. But it was a good song. But it was a good song. I. I maybe. I don't know. I'm forced to be the critic. You're forcing me to be the critic. You're asking me what I thought. Do it. Lay, I gotta it, lay say, it down. I gotta say, I thought the guitar part was the best part. It was the first thing I wrote. Very impressive guitar. But. It sounded, and here I'm gonna sound like such a hipster, but this is my basic dissection of the song. It sounded like an emo indie screamo voice mixed with smashing pumpkins kind of lyrics. And it sounded an awful lot like the mid-career Pearl Jam. Listen to the song Given to Fly, and it is a shockingly similar guitar. And it's shockingly similar even kind of vocal trajectory. This song is very similar, and I love that song. I love Pearl Jam, which you probably 
So if anyone thought I was being hipster, now I'm obviously not hipster. All cred gone. <laughs> All credibility gone. But the middle career, we're talking like the no-code yield albums of Pearl Jam, which are underrated, sound oddly similar to this. So it was very familiar and I liked it, but it just made me want to listen to those bands. Other bands. More. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It was a good song. I'm not floored by it. I liked it. And I also am a fan of a good scream in a song. Yeah, it was I, I love a good scream in a song. Solid scream. And the, the quality of the screaming was good, but the screaming in the song felt extremely forced and unnecessary. <laughs> You've heard more screams yeah, than me. It, it doesn't Very fit fair. with the vibe of the song. I feel like the song expressed a lot more emotion with mm. his singing voice and the screaming, and he's going along telling the story, and then all of nowhere it's like, Rah, 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 rah. And then it just goes right back into the screaming like I know that can be something that is utilized in screamo songs and I feel like other bands and maybe even other songs by Vendetta Red do this more fluidly. Mm. It felt very abrasive and I felt kind of forced. Forced and it yeah, yeah, it didn't feel right. Yeah. I can see that. I'll have yeah. to concede to you. You've heard more screamo music than me. Yeah. So yeah, I I did like his scream, but it, it didn't feel right in this song. Yeah. I feel. It seemed like, in general, the song seemed like a weird mix of different parts, different kind of genres. It didn't quite... But that can either sound like a beautiful hybrid or like disjointed derivative. And it was a little bit just kind of a disjointed song. Yeah. Like no. a li little of this, a little of that. I agree. Uh, do you have any thoughts as to what it's about? I, I did look at the lyrics and and I don't know if I really quite figured out exactly what it was about. Although, I don't think I did either. Although it was very emotional. It seemed like someone who liked Smashing Pumpkins lyrics and was trying to kind of be in that vein. Mm -hmm. My first thought, and it seems a little too obvious, is it kind of feels like a suicide note in some ways. Could be. But I don't I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt because that seems like a little too easy, maybe. Yeah. So I I try to look some stuff up. Some people thought that it was maybe about a war and oh. an act of martyrdom. Hmm. One person thought that it was about the Salem witch trials, which I thought was a little far fetched. <laughs> but they like, I I didn't copy down any of the reasons why but they like try to draw all these parallels between actual events of the Salem witch trials and like they tried to vaguely connect it with certain lines in the really? song wow there's a little conspiracy theorist ish yeah. to me yeah but yeah I, I guess it could be I wow i gotta say and i i'm not i don't know how to write song lyrics i've never even tried if i did they'd be terrible but I just gotta point this out. There is one line that I think is an example of the type of lyrics you should never write. Ever. You write a line like this, you're kicked out. You're on probation for a year of lyric writing. Okay. And this is the line. Adolescent naivete spawned my optimism. Why do I hate this line? I hate that line. Because that is the feeling of so many of these songs. But you don't say it explicitly. You, you express that indirectly through imagery, dialogue, anything. You don't just say, 
Teenaged. My, ad- my adolescent naivete spawned my optimism. Oh man, I read that and I was like, that's like. It made you it made you oh. want to scream in a oh. screamo song. I went, wow! <laughs> oh man, that line. That's like an example. You show, you don't tell. You don't just say. Show. Yeah, I I agree with you about like the how blatant that felt. But other lines were good. I'll yes. be honest. Other lines were very good. And maybe that's why that one jumped out at so like heavy handed. But at the same time, I feel like lyrics like that come with the genre that they're yeah. singing in. Like I They're catering to the genre, man. No, they are. Ugh. Like like the band from first to last. They have an album called Dear Diary, My Teen Angst Has a Body Count. <laughs> stuff like that. And like when you think about stuff like that <laughs> and like some of like the, the album, the, the song titles from bands like Kyoto, so like early Follow Boy when you have these song titles that are like two sentences long. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like Under Oath has a song from the early days that's like I've got ten friends in a crowbar that says you don't know shit or something like that. Like, <laughs> it, it's I don't know. Show don't tell. That line, adolescent naivety, spun my optimism. That's a line someone like Tom Waits would use. Very self-aware. <laughs> he would be so self-aware of that line. You know what I mean? Like, it would be a line he would use like ironic. You know what I mean? That's the difference. Yeah. But who compares Tom Waits to Vendetta Red? Dominic Manthe. Me. That's it. Perpetual special guest, <laughs> Dominic Manthe. The perpetual special guest. Right, any, any last thoughts? It was good. And I got to say, the, I love the guitar part. I did love the guitar The guitar was, was really good. Incredible. Like, yeah. it was almost shoegazy. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. It was very dreamy. Throughout. But still throughout. kind of had that angst and yeah. anger and I, I dug it if you like this song and you want like a more like dad rock version listen to given to fly by Pearl Jam. very similar guitar similar angsty but it, you know the testosterone's decreased a bit hormones are less better stuff. and you get those nice grunge <laughs> vocals oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's good all Check right Let's move on to NYC dash Gone Comma Gone by Connor Oberst. Mm-hmm. Off the 2008 self-titled album Connor Oberst. Connor Oberst is an American singer-songwriter from Omaha, Nebraska. He has an incredible list of bands that he's been a part of. Bright Eyes. Desbracitos, Norman Baylor, Commander Venus, Park Avenue, Connor Oberst and the Mystic Valley Band, Arab Strap, and the Monsters of Folk. Arab Strap? I've not heard of that one. Yeah, he's uh, known for his blending of emo country and folk and punk. Mm-hmm. Pitchfork has described him as both as a prodigy addled with New Dylan acclaimed with an ego icon with bratty attitude and nose grazing bangs connor oberst has been a squirrely performer whipping between genres and moods Hmm. if you'll remember back to an earlier episode of this i mentioned a game called the emo game oh yeah 
Connor Oberst was one of the characters you could play in the emo <laughs> game due to his bright eyes days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the fourth solo album by Connor Oberst, so it's not affiliated with any of those bands I had mentioned prior. Hmm. Though it was his first one in over 10 years, and actually the first one since his Bright Eyes days, which most people who are familiar with Connor Oberst, Bright Eyes is probably the band you know that was probably his biggest, most successful project of all of them. Yeah. Uh, this whole album is a departure from what he's known for, and in order to do so, he literally departed from New York to record his album in Mexico, which this song okay. is kind okay. of about. Yeah. So, Connor Oberst and the Mystic Valley Band Project was spawned from recording this album. While he was recording this alone in Mexico, the studio musicians that helped him record the music ended up becoming that Mystic Valley Band, and they went on to put out a project after working together on the solo album. So, now that you know some background. What did you think of New York City Gone Gone? <coughs> Excuse me. That's okay, I'll let it <laughs> Cut that out. It does not reflect Here. my views of the song. I'll bring it back. So now that you know the background, mm -hmm. what did you think of New York City Gone Gone? That sentence I just said for the first time. <laughs> Thank you for saying yeah. that for the first time. For the time. first time. A song like this seems hard to really critique. It seemed, my, I have not listened to this album. I'm, I am a big Bright Eyes fan. I'm not like hard, I know some hardcore Bright Eyes fans. I think we all know some hardcore Bright Eyes fans. <laughs> I appreciate him. Um, I think the Pitchfork summary is pretty, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. I, my impression is this song served as a kind of interlude between longer songs. It just seemed like the short, kind of main anthemy. You know, peace out, big phony city, I'm going south for sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> that was my impression. So it were you know, it probably works. It's not a song I'd probably listen to on its own on repeat. It's I it's too short and sweet, I yeah. feel. It's it feels like maybe they were fucking around in the like the recording studio and like, ah, oh, throw that on the album. Yeah. It yeah. It, it feels kinda like a like a drinking song, like Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. you know Yeah. Like like uh like a chant that a hockey team fan base would sing at the bar after the game. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. I guess if he was going to experiment in that genre, at least he only did it for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and what I know of Connor Oberst and his work with Bright Eyes is he is an, an extremely talented lyricist. Yeah. Some of the best lyrics I've ever heard. Yeah. And this song, just being blatantly about. I have no new ideas. Yeah. Let's go from New York to Mexico and try to get inspiration. Yeah. It, it's it's a little too blatant, and like the lack of depth in the lyrics are mixed, shocking. Yeah. Mixed with the simplicity of the music. Yeah. Mixed with the short duration of the song, leaves it feeling very not memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how it fits in the album? It's all off the top of your It's head. been such a long time since yeah. I've listened to that album from start to finish. Yeah. It does it feels like an interlude. Yeah. It like must it almost be. feels like back in the nineties when people would have like hidden tracks on albums where like this would almost be at the end of one song just yeah. bleeding into another song. Yeah. 
it seems odd that it had its own significant track in the, yeah. the lineup of the song. It's strange, yeah. I mean, it it looks terrible in comparison to his other songs in general. If, you, if you're like, this is a first track, you're like, oh, it sounds like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I don't know. But if you look, I looked. Have you ever Googled songs about Mexico? No. By like American artists? I can't say I've ever typed that into Google. There are hundreds. There are hundreds. Every artist you can think of. White Stripes, Incubus, Wings, King, Bob Dylan, Wings, Toby Keith, The Drifter, Sammy Hagar, Jimmy Buffett, Johnny Cash. Wait, wait, go back. Read that list again. Incubus, Cake, Dylan, White Stripes, Toby Keith, The Drifters. Sammy Hagar, Jimmy Buffett, Johnny Cash. Those are just. Are you talking about Icky Thump with White Stripes? Yeah. Okay. Those are just a surface of all the artists who are American who have written some kind of song about going to Mexico. And they're almost always, without fail, a little lascivious. And this song mentions, I got a woman down in Mexico. Well, okay. That, while he was recording this album, he met his now wife. What? So Man. it's at the time uh, okay. they okay, were not fair. married, so it could be kind of like my hookup in Mexico. But yeah. they are married to this day, and they met while he was recording. The Damn. Album. Okay, Connor, you win. You're an authentic dude, even when it comes to the score. One, Connor Oberst, Dominic Manthe, zero. Zip. Zip. Man, he won. That's how Sammy Hagar met. So he. He gets a pass for recording his on song. Connor Oberst's album in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he married Connor Oberst. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea that Connor Oberst was Sammy Hagar's wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, that's Very how it works. interesting. You learn something new every <laughs> yeah. day. Well, I don't have much else to say due to the, how short this song Not is. Do you have anything else? I think if we talk about a song in times longer than it is, we're done. Okay. We did. Well, we'll close <laughs> the books on New York City Gone yeah, Gone. And move on to Merciless by Boris, mm -hmm. which is off the 2006 album, The Thing Which Solomon Overlooked 2. Boris is an experimental avant-garde metal band from Tokyo, Japan, though they also dabble in sludge metal, drone metal, and noise rock. They frequently collaborate with my favorite drone metal band, Sun, and just so you know, Sun is spelt S-U-N-N, and then it's a space, capital O, and then three right-facing parentheses. What? Really? Yes. Like that? Other way, sorry. Other way. Yeah. So, there are apps. Yeah, so there are, um, there are amplifiers for guitars and basses called sun amps and that circle with the parentheses coming off of it is their logo okay originally sun was just called sun s-u-n because i was planning on getting into this when a sun song came up there is another drone metal band called earth and sun was such a big fan of earth that they started their own band kind of an homage to them sun and right earth. right and they all Especially with the sound you're going for in drone metal, these sun amps are very good for them, mm -hmm. is the best way I can put it. Right. So they then adopted the logo for the sun amps due to their name, and that became their name. Damn. Yeah. That's the real deal. Though I will say, 
I did not get into Boris <laughs> because of Sun. I got into Boris because, and this is the first time this has happened in Shuffle, this is a band I've seen live. Really? Yes, this is wow. the first band on Shuffle that's come up that I've seen live. Where? Where did you see live? Actually, I, I take that back. My Chemical Chromance. Ah. Second band. They opened up for Nine Inch Nails during their Lights in the Sky tour. Wow, that's Originally, awesome. it was supposed to be Crystal Castles, who I've also seen live. Yeah. Not for opening for Nine Inch Nails, but when the time came around for me to see Nine Inch Nails, Trent was very ill and had to cancel the show and when they rescheduled it Boris was the opener and it was <laughs> one of the craziest live shows I've ever seen they are like a band that begs the audience to hate them yeah. like on a Neil Hamburger level they just <laughs> fuck with the audience really yeah they'll make like the most beautiful like sounding guitar noises and singing and then they'll just go into this horrible distorted sound and they will drone it for 20 minutes just yeah. and it's, it's basically like four because you know everyone talks over the opener they yeah. like they're literally like pay attention to us we're up here on stage yeah yeah damn and I, they're I, from japan they are from wow. japan yeah. they originally started out as a four-piece they are now into this day a three-piece band the drummer <laughs> is the main singer and lyricist and then there's a female who's on guitar, and I believe it's another male on bass. They actually have their own record label called Fangs Anal Satan. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and in the in the linear notes for this album, Fangs Anal Satan recorded, mixed, and did the artwork for this album. And I I googled the shit out of this trying to find out anything more about it. And it was only hinted at, but I believe that the drummer and lyricist is Fang's Anal Satan. I think that's like uh, yeah. a moniker of him, though he doesn't <laughs> own up to it. I wouldn't either. <laughs> yes. Whether it is intentional or not, Boris is renowned to be a nightmare for discography complete completionists. Hmm. They frequently label songs differently depending upon which label and country the album is released in. They reuse song titles for different songs but have the same title. They have different tracks on different releases of their albums. And sometimes they will label songs similar, like they'll name one song something and then the other one something part two even though they seemingly have nothing to do with each other and sometimes they'll just release like a something part three with no part one or two even existing and then when they play live anytime they play a version of their song it is usually reworked in some way very kind yeah. of jazzy almost where it's kind of more yeah. of like a reform jam than yeah. an actual recording or not recording but performance of the song hmm. The Things Which Solomon Overlooked 2 is the second in a series of three drone albums that Porus has put out. Since these albums have come out, they've been more affiliated with the drone metal scene, especially putting out split and collaboration albums with Sun. Mm. But prior to that, this was the first time they did anything drone metal worthy. Mm. So, what did you think of Merciless? This, this song was like... Like a, a piece of like a modern art, 
I gotta say. If you ever, it's the best way for, I can kind of analogize it is, I was at the MoMA once and there was a picture there that was literally a white line, a blue line and a red line. I don't know who it was by. That was it. And it was in the MoMA. And it was just that. There was no special hues or tones or tints or contrast. It was just white, just three lines. And next to that was like a essay. We're talking like nine paragraphs, huge, describing this. The three lines. Yeah, and I would say this song is a lot like that. It demands an enormous amount of engagement by the listener. Because it's easy to assume there's literally nothing there except, or in this case, <laughs> and then they just walk away for 20 minutes. But I, I'll be honest, I was just simply in the right frame of mind to engage the song. And I, as hipster as it sounds, I really like the song. I very much like the song. I did too. Yeah. I thought that this might be the most appropriately named song I've ever listened to. <laughs> Because holy fuck, is it merciless. <laughs> yes, yes, like, yes. I listened to it on a very low volume. And just due to the duration of it, my ears were ringing yeah. audibly by the end of listening to this song. Yeah. This song takes up about half of the album's length. And it's only a four-songed album. <laughs> and this song's almost 15 minutes long. Yeah. It sounds like what I could describe as a demonic version of TV static white noise. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, there are subtle changes as it goes on, but it's, you have to fully engage with this thing to listen to it. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like an atom bomb drop. And you're listening to, you know, your house just like <laughs> sonically blow apart. <laughs> I gotta say, and w the one thing I'll really give this song is that there is like doom music, apocalyptic music, but even that typically has some sentimentality in the most basic sense. There's some feeling or emotion in this like apocalyptic genre. But this song is merciless. It's there is cold. There is, it is so impersonal that, you know the acid trip scene in 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. It makes that seem like Gilligan's Island. I gotta be honest, that that scene, 2001 Space Odyssey is as impersonal as it gets. It like disturbs you viscerally. This is more than that. This is even more than that. But that's an achievement. I gotta be honest, that's a, that is an achievement. To, to hit something that viscerally, that is a, it's an artistic achievement. Yeah, I will say it's nothing like I've heard before. Yeah. Even yeah. being someone who is a fan of Sun, their album is, or their music is much more on the bass spectrum of noises. I've seen Sun Live also, wow, which is a whole nother story unto itself. <laughs> but it's in such a low register that I've never walked out of a concert with my ears ringing in such a way, because usually when you come out from a loud concert, it is like the treble frequency that ears are blown out of. Yeah. I've never experienced the bass <laughs> being blown out. It's like this weird, yeah. warm hum. Yeah. This song is not in that spectrum whatsoever. It is just piercing, harsh, white noise, treble yeah. attack on your eardrums. Yeah. But I gotta say, really, it's worth listening to all the way through because it's so tempting to listen to it for five minutes and then skip ahead you know, 10 and be like, oh, it's the same thing. But if you 
it, it is its own experience if you just sit there and force yourself to listen to it. Because at some point, I did have a weird kind of sense of being with the song. Yeah. There was a weird kind of feeling of almost like a sad kind of serenity. Like, I'm, I'm hanging in with this song and I'm grasping for any human element. And every now and then you do hear a tiny... A change in the note. Yeah, you hear a little and you're like, oh. <laughs> There is hope. There is life. <laughs> the nuclear fallout didn't kill everyone. Yeah, and if you just skip around the song, it's all going to sound the same yeah. to you. And you won't yeah. get the experience of it actually being a song because there are note changes yeah. throughout this. Yeah. All that slow and indistinguishable, yeah. they're there. And I got to say, in like minimalist music or ambient music even, you usually are listening to some kind of repetition of musical units. Yeah. In the most, but in this song, unlike any song I think I've ever heard, it looks like you're listening to just the raw texture. That's the only way I can say it. Like you're just listening to like the texture, the visceral texture of noise. Yeah. And it, again, it may, it isn't beautiful. It's not trying to be beautiful, but to actually evoke that experience, it isn't achieved. It is, and that's the reason why. Because I feel like it's easy to write off drone metal. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just noise. It is a reaction to that idea of how music is a, repeti a repetition of sounds. Yeah. And they come forward and be like, this song is one note. Yeah. If you listen to it on repeat, there'll be repetition, but there's no repetition. Yeah. It is just one sound yeah. for 20 minutes. Yeah. And you just have to experience it. It's an experience more than a song. Yeah. Almost, I feel. Yeah, exactly. No, there, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a very critically acclaimed album like 10 years ago by like an ambient artist. And maybe you've heard of it, where it's like you hear the sound like uh, dissolving. Because it was actual like reels of, of playing, and, and they literally broke away as it was going. And it was. I felt like this was like, because that was like beautiful. You listen to it and it's kind of serene. This was like, the, just viscerally doomed. Just merciless. Oh, merciless, like twin brother of that album. Where it's like, here's the same thing where you hear nothing but the destruction. Do you have any idea who that electronic artist was? Because that sounds fascinating. I don't know off the top of my head, but we'll I'll find it and we'll post okay. it. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, we'll I'd like to hear that. Yeah. He came, the same artist came out with a very beautiful, another beautiful album this year. Okay. Yeah, and I, I just can't remember his name off the top of my head. And that one is just kind of repetition of the exact same piano note. Which again, this is like, yeah. Like Steve Reich. Yeah, and, but this is just like it's the limits of music. It really is. Like the limit, it makes you really strain to understand. Because it's the sort of thing you would hear and immediately be like, this is bad. Or I shouldn't be mm -hmm. listening to this for long. But you are forced to sit there and try to make sense of it. Which... Yeah. I feel like for me in my music experience, Aphex Twin was probably the first artist that helped me start to question the limitations of what music can yeah. and cannot be. So if Apex Twins like the gateway drug, this is like <laughs> meth or heroin. It's like yes, you've yes. reached the finish line. This is the farthest you can yeah. possibly go. Now take this motherfucker. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the craziest. <laughs> what I really was impressed. Yeah. It was 
an artistic statement, which you can't say about most things that are produced, but it was, it really was. Right. Now, let's go to the complete opposite spectrum of Merciless. This has got to be the craziest segue. The We've had some wild ones. This, this is, is the furthest stretch. Poor Bob, man. Poor Bob. This is from point A <laughs> by Bob Kilgore. This is off his... From point Z to point A, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going opposite alphabetical yeah. order here. Yeah. This is off his potentially either 1988-1990 or 2009 album, Epicycles. The reason why I say this is most of the recordings off this album were done between 1988-1990, but the album was re-released in... 2009, though so it was recorded in the late 80s, but it was officially released 20 years later. Bob Kilgore is a self-proclaimed thrash acoustic, is the genre that he calls it. I did not know. Thrash that. acoustic instrumental guitarist from Greenwood, South Carolina. Huh. He's famous for having invented what he calls the harmonic capo. Which, if you're familiar, a capo is a device that you attach to the neck of your guitar to yep. affect its sound. And from what I've gathered from the research I could gather, is it is a capo that allows you to play nothing but harmonics. Yeah, it lets you play harmonics. Because if you open strum, it sounds beautiful. But yeah. then if you put your fingers down, it resumes the original. Yes. Uh, constitution of those strings, which is fascinating. Yeah. I actually, I googled that too. I didn't know. Yeah, that. I didn't know such a thing existed. Yeah. He actually did a TEDx talk about it. Like, so a TED, TED invited him to talk about it because it's such kind of a novel thing yeah. to have created. I think that's his big claim to fame because yes. I googled his name and that was like the only thing I, that I had out. a very hard time finding <laughs> out anything about this man. How did you first download this? If so, you don't mind me asking. He has a song called Tap Dance which okay. is a harmonically tapped acoustic guitar piece, which oh, went uh, viral on YouTube. It had to have been back around 2007. Okay. I don't remember how I stumbled upon this video, but I saw it and I liked this song Tap Dance enough. And he has large enough of a fan base where his music is acquirable, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So I found a wink, couple wink. I found a couple albums by him and I honestly had completely forgotten <laughs> about this video. Because this was like back like my senior year of high school. Yeah. And up until now when it popped up, I remembered, oh yeah, Bob Kilgore. The only other thing that I could find out about him is that he's a part of this record label called Weasel Trap Records, which exists to sell his music, his brother's music, and this capo he invented. Wow. It has the jankiest, oldest looking <laughs> website I've ever seen. Yeah, wow. And, like, really, other than that, I, I don't know much about this guy. That's as much as I could find. Bob Kilgore. It sounds like an alias someone would use. Like, I just killed someone. I'm gonna <laughs> kill Kilgore. Bob, Bob Kilgore. Yeah. Yeah, that and that tap dance song is fantastic. I've since gone back and listened yeah, to it. Like I'll if check it out. if you like harmonics and tapped acoustic guitar, like it's kind of like really light metal sounding because yeah. you know metal songs are famous for their tapping. Yeah, 
and he kind of. I think that's why he calls it thrash acoustic. That makes more sense because than what I heard. it is yeah. like yeah. like a classical nylon string guitar, but it's like. But huh. it's a lot more chill. Yeah. This song from point A briefly utilizes the harmonics, but it doesn't. Yeah. It's not like the centerpiece in it where a lot of his other music is. Yeah. So what did you think of from point A? It was all right. It was okay. I'll give it the okay rating. It, it, the okay. I got it. To be honest, it sounded like it. It kind of oscillated between like a. Bahama Mama beach music. Yeah. <laughs> and then it quickly would do something technically yeah. proficient, you know, quick archipegio to be like, oh, okay, it's not just, you know, Bahama Mama mm -hmm. beach music. So it sounds like something someone who, like, is above average at guitar playing. Oh, this is gonna sound so mean. Play it, just play it. I'm down. not good. I took guitar lessons and I recognized I wasn't that good. And this sounds like a song. I would have made, meaning I could practice, be pretty good, but I have no like deep core sure. talent to make really amazing music. It just sounded like, you know, well, and it makes sense if this is like recorded in his early days of becoming a musician. Yeah, it sounds like someone fucking around on a guitar yeah. kind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I especially following up Merciless. This might be the most <laughs> underwhelming song <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard in my it's entire just, life. That's got to be part of it, is that that song framed this, and it just yeah. is rough. And especially Merciless being this one note. This song is so repetitive. <laughs> yes. Like, it, re it has three ideas, maybe, and it just yeah. repeats it like yeah. that. Yeah. It's very calming. It's yeah. very nice. Introspective. It's, it's underwhelming. Kind of, yeah. And I hate that it faded out of yeah, I've cheesy fade. Some cheesy fade. songs I feel can pull a fade out, but most of the time my default is that it's like a lazy way to avoid ending a song. Big, and Big I'm time. not a fan. Yeah, you have <laughs> yeah. to win the right to fade out in a song, and this song did not earn that right. Yeah, yeah. Of I mean, of all songs, don't you know how to end on a guitar? Yeah. How to end? You just play a certain. There's chord. no vocals. <laughs> even just play one note, and yeah. that be it. Yeah, underwhelming song. Like, he's technically proficient, but it, there was no artistic statement. Yeah. And it kind of almost sounded like a Jimmy Buffett. You know, just going to the beach, baby. Wasted Ooh, again yeah. in Margaritaville. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was all right. It was all right. But there's some way better. I, I agree. And, yeah. like I said, that tap dance song. I'll have I to know check he that has out. better music in his discography. Yeah, I'll have to check it. Oh yeah, I don't. I really. I don't have much else to say about this. So. I literally wrote not a ton. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll take that as a sign and move on to "I'm Cool" by Real Big Fish, off the 1998 album. Why do they rock so hard? God. Uh, Real, Real Big Fish is a ska punk band from Huntington Beach, California. Of course they are. Now, God damn it. It came from the summer of Ska, Dominic. Uh, Interesting uh, fact I found out. They started out as a Led Zeppelin cover band. Makes sense. Yep. I can totally see. Then they, they then rose to mainstream fame during the rise of third wave Ska. During the summer of Ska. That awesome third wave. Yep. Oh, dude, that third wave was the most <laughs> <It's> killer. Turbulent. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Since... 
that wave crashed. <laughs> yes. They've gained quite a strong underground cult following. Uh, between 1991 and 2015, which is the dates of their life, they have gone through 23 band members. Why I'll, can't they keep them there? Come I'll, on! I'll, I'll post this this infographic on the the notes for this. But as the <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia has quite the little complex wow. chart of all the band members, what roles they played in their start and finishing dates. Damn. So during that entire time, the only constant member of the band has been Aaron Barrett, who is the lead singer, lead guitarist of the band. Real f- Mr. Fish. He's the, he he's the real big fish. Yeah, he's the real big fish. He stated that this was his favorite album they ever released up until the release of their live album. Our live album is better than your live album. And I will go on record stating, because we talked about how Merciless is the most accurately named song of all time. Yeah. The album, our live album is better than your live album, is the most accurate album name of all time. Yeah? It is the best live album by any band I have ever heard, ever. And I'm sure there's an album out there somewhere that I just I haven't heard yet that would change that opinion to me. But up until this day, it is just a fucking great live album. The sound production is incredible. They play all of their hits and have been around for so long. It's like a 30 song long album. And every song is better than the one previous than it. And their stage banter is spot on. Hilarious. It is a... Their live album is better than your live album. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Because I know nothing about Real Big Fish. Yeah. I never heard a single Real Big Fish song knowingly. Really? This. Yep, really. That's surprising. Like, no, they're, they're none, a band that none, most people none. have at least a vague recollection about. I knew they existed. I always knew they existed, but I never well, heard their music. Well, I will say then that I am sorry that this is the first Real Big Fish song that you heard. This is a douchey song, man. Oh, my God, this song. I will say that this song follows their very typical model of being extremely sarcastic in a very angry and sad way while sounding happy. That's their shtick. It's like, we're going to write a song that's extremely sarcastic about opinions we don't actually have that are going to be very angry or sad thoughts, but due to the nature of ska music, it's going to sound very uplifting and happy. Uh, that's 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 their shtick. Yeah, yeah. And they often sing about lost loves and hating famous people, which this song is literally about hating famous people. Yeah. Though I will say, this song was unusually chill for them. There's mm-hmm. usually a lot more energy and action and more of an upbeat feel. Mm. This was almost kind of more on like a reggae vibe, like yeah. first or second wave ska music rather than traditional third, which has more of the pop punk influence. Yeah. What did you think of I'm Cool other than it being <laughs> douchey? I, okay, I had heard, I always knew Real Big Fish existed. They were a band, they were out there. I could never quite tell in what kind of musical culture they dwelled. I I listened to this song and it just this song I can only speak on this song but it seemed like a kind of like douchey frat bro music like if someone with a Budweiser would be like yeah <laughs> we 
okay, which is not really a fair critique, probably. Well, you're but, welcome to have your opinions. But like you know, OAR of another revolution is that what they stand for? Okay, I mean OAR. They have some songs I really like, which makes me think maybe Real Big Fish yeah. would too. But they also are that same kind of like frat bro, like I'm, I'm drinking a butt, I'm gonna smoke one joint, and I'm gonna be into ska music, baby. Whoa, and. I can respect that. And part of it, I think, is because I'm a humongous fan of the Toots and the Mai Tals. And they're like one of the first ska bands to come out of Jamaica. They're like credited with like being... So like first wave ska. So this is first wave ska. And and I I love that music. That's some of my favorite music, Toots and the Mai Tals. And the voice and the energy and that whole kind of like political climate that it came out of. And so this seemed kind of namby-pamby, you know what I mean? Are you familiar with other third wave ska bands by any chance? Not really. Maybe just like unknowingly I've listened to them. There are like, there are other ones with a lot more respectability, I feel. Like, have you ever heard of Streetlight Manifesto? No. Great third wave ska band. I highly recommend them. Big D in the kids' table, also a great band. Hmm. I'd stay away from No Doubt, probably. <laughs> I liked it when I was a kid, No yeah. Doubt. So, I mean, like, uh, Early Rancid or Operation yeah. Ivy. Yeah. Kind of the more punky. I like they Operation got balls. Ivy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, like, I I feel bad that this is the first Real Big Fish song you I'm heard. sure they have better songs with this yeah. one, especially after, like, Merciless. I was just kind of like, yeah. Well, yeah, especially yeah. with him, like, sarcastically being like, yeah, I'm cool. It's just like, fuck you, man. Yeah. 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 No, I, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. I completely understand that. Oh. But you like this song because oh. you like them, which is fair. That's completely fair. I don't fair. think I'd say I like this song. No? No. Then I don't really? feel quite as bad. Yeah, no, don't feel bad. <laughs> like, I didn't hate this song. I would never stick this song on a playlist. Yeah. I would never actively seek out playing this song. Yeah. It's a very kind of boring song for them, like I said. Yeah. They have way better music. You really need to listen to that live album of theirs. This uh, yeah. This is not a good Real Big Fish song. I will go on record saying <laughs> that. As, as a fan of Real Big Fish. Yeah. And they have a lot of fans. I know a lot of people who I respect who are into them. I just somehow never got into it. And I, this is the first song of theirs I've known Actually, I, I lied again. I've also seen them live. Great really? live performance. I bet. Ska music lends itself yeah. to great live Scott, music. Ska, like, I've always said, yeah. like, if um, high school functions, such as proms and morps or Sadie Hawkins, they're playing that shitty top 40 mainstream. Yeah. They played ska music. Everyone would dance. It would be the funnest, danciest yeah. dance of all time. Yeah. Totally. Best concert I think I've ever been to was Toots and the Mai Tals in Atlanta. And Toots, that's the lead singer, he's like 80. But it was like the, everyone was dancing. That was the only concert I've been to where everyone is dancing and having a good time. Fantastic. Now, how did you... I need to know more about this. How did you get into them? How did you end up in Atlanta seeing them? <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't even know. Similar to the birth of this podcast, when when I was very young, like eighth grade, I just started downloading every music from every genre I could think you of. You just stumbled upon it? And I stumbled uh, upon... Uh... No, 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 no. That's, that is true. 
I stumbled upon it, but I didn't know, I didn't connect it, that they were the band that had like three of the best songs on Grand Theft Auto San Andreas reggae okay. fucking reggae radio station. station. And I was like, dude, I love those songs. And I was like, oh, I have like 15 other albums, you know, and, and the rest was history. And then I have a very good friend who went to school in Atlanta and I visited him and we were bored out of our minds and we were like, let's go see it's in the my house they were playing a show downtown wow yeah it was fantastic it was so like 15 dollars they're still like recording and doing stuff yeah. today as a band and a year ago they put out a live album that's beautiful it's beautiful just because his voice it has so much soul man. his i love his voice so much it's i will have to check them out you dig it you dig it. it's first wave scott so it, it's not it's more reggae-ish yeah oh yeah it is a little bit but it's calypso music yeah but it's and his voice is amazing. His voice is, which I think also prejudices me to, a little bit. I expect that. You expect the vocal performance and you get kind of pop punk yeah. vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But I'll have to check out more real big fish. I know, I know there's a lot of All right, so now that that's all been said and done, what's your favorite of the five? It's gotta be. Boris Merciless because it was genuinely an artistic statement and listening to it evoked very unique experience which cannot be said for many songs I gotta be honest I think I'm gonna have to agree with you I I at least enjoyed it for the experience and no offense to any of the artists or songs <laughs> on the rest of this playlist but not all my cup of tea. It's not even close, man. It, to compare. Like, uh, I I definitely have a soft spot for songs in the Vendetta Red spectrum of things. Yeah. But, and I've talked about this before, my intrigue and obsession with challenging music draws yeah. me to a song like Merciless. Yeah. Even though yeah. it is horribly difficult to listen to. <laughs> it is. It is merciless. so interesting. Yeah. 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 All right, so I guess next thing is to go pick out next week's five songs. Let's see if I can do this without ruining everything. <laughs> All right, here we go. First song is Generation 666 by Necromantics. Necromantics. Next song is Moonshadow by Cat Stevens. Third song is Love You All by Cloud Cult. Fourth song is Lies by Corn. And the fifth song is Pain by The Pillows. So go ahead and listen to those once I get the playlist together and you can look forward to us talking about them next week as well as our top five albums of the year list. Other than that, I hope you have a good week, and we'll see you later. Bye.